0: Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Thank you, Scripture Readers team, for ministering that text to us. Thanks to all who uh, kept Emmanuel running while I was gone on family vacation the last couple of weeks. It's really good to be back. Um, and today we're going to talk about eating We're going to talk about being fed. As I was thinking about this text this week, I realized that eating is inconvenient. Absorbing nutrition into our bodies is one of the most time-intensive, labor-intensive, cost-intensive activities that we will ever take on in our lives. Consider this. Kids, if you have not left the home yet, before you turn 18 your parents will provide for you approximately 20,000 meals just for you. 20,000 meals just for you. There's a great Pinterest um, meme that Laura showed to me, and it's, uh, it's someone draped over a couch like this, and the meme is, why do they want dinner every night? <laughs> 20,000 times of preparing planning, serving, and cleaning up, which is maybe the worst part. (laughs) Um, Now, after you turn 18, you're responsible for feeding your own body. And um, if you have friends, if you get married, if you have kids, you're going to be responsible for feeding other people's bodies too. And if you live, let's say you live from 18 to, to 88, good long life, that's 70 years of meals, um, that is another 76,000 meals that you have to feed yourself, unless you practice Lent, and in that case, the number will be drastically lower. <laughs> Consider the financial cost of eating. On a conservative budget of mostly groceries and not very much eating out, it will cost you it costs you about 3,000 dollars a month uh, sorry, a year if you're eating out it's $3,000 a month $3,000 a year just to keep your body fed if from the beginning you had been putting that same money into a Roth IRA you would be a millionaire by the age of 47 you'd be a very hungry millionaire but still it's expensive it's inconvenient it consumes our time our money and our energy uh, Now, we don't just have a body with a physical appetite. We are souls, and we have a spiritual appetite. We are made to commune with the living God in our waking and in our sleeping. But staying spiritually fed is inconvenient too. It also costs time, money, energy, priorities. Um, God supplies nutrition for us to feed on, but he won't force feed us. And he can't feed us through the air of osmosis. We are spiritual creatures, but it doesn't, being spiritually fed doesn't happen automatically. Feeding on a spiritual mirror requires that we present ourselves, present our time, our energy, and and it and it involves our body. Satisfying our spiritual appetite exacts a cost, just like satisfying our physical appetite exacts, exacts a cost. And sometimes it will require that we neglect activities that really are interesting to us, like sleep, or sports, or reading, or catching up with a good friend. For some people, it would mean cutting back on billable hours. For other people, it would be unveiling their creative project weeks uh, after they wanted to. And what is more, if you've grown up in church in any way, um, maybe you're familiar with a very common form of evangelical guilt which is have your quiet time more often. (laughs) Having your quiet time is presented as the apex of a spiritual life, and yet so few people in the church do it, and so there's this massive guilt that everyone carries around. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not doing my quiet time enough. And maybe you tried it. Maybe you never got traction. It never really worked, and it was boring, and you didn't feel how you were supposed to feel, and that person seems really into it, and I'm not really into it, Maybe something's wrong with me. It just kind of falls by the wayside. And so a lot of us feel guilty about our spiritual appetites. And then we feel guilty by the fact that we feel guilty. So let me just say right now, it's okay if you're here and you feel guilty about your spiritual appetite and your spiritual diet. Um, For all of us, wherever we're at with our spiritual appetites, whether we're guilty or not, I want to look at a story, a story from the early church. And just see how they interacted with some of the same tensions that we have today. Tensions that we have as a corporate body and also in our own individual lives. And we'll see in the book of Acts that this young growing church, there was pressure actually to put less emphasis on the word of God. There was legitimate pressure from actually really good problems that led them to go, ah, maybe we should, maybe we should relax a little bit on our attention to the word of God. What did they do? What did they do? What did they devote themselves to? Um, Spiritual feeding became inconvenient for them. More relevant and pressing opportunities presented themselves. And so we need to track and see what what they did, because the stakes were high for them. And the stakes are equally high for us as well. Because as anyone who has endured a great famine can attest... The stakes of eating or not eating, the stakes of being fed or going unfed, the stakes of nourishment or no nourishment are high. The stakes are high. So let's see how the early church responded to this pressure, this growing pressure to deprioritize their own spiritual nourishment. Let's read Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's stop there. We are reading, friends, an honest account um, of a cultural clash in the early church. And as I said before, this this is a very good problem to have Because it's a sign that Jesus has brought together in one church two cultures that are very different. It was a unity that that we might even call provocative. A unity that if you looked at it from the outside, you go, why are these two cultures coming together around one common theme, one common purpose, one common table? What has brought them together? It's a great problem to have. It's a wonderful sign that Jesus is using his Holy Spirit to bring together a diverse church, two cultures with different values. In this case, Jesus has built a church made up of rival cultures, not just different, but rival cultures. The text says Hellenists and Hebrews uh, that are, it's best tra- translated Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. So the Hellenists refers to the Grecian Jews, which came from all over the Roman Empire. They were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and specifically, they were scattered to the country of Greece. And so they spoke Greek. They were Jewish eth- uh, ethnically, but they spoke Greek, and they ate Greek food, and they knew Greek culture, and they were abroad. They were kind of an international, urbane group. Um, the, the, uh, the Hebrews were the, the um, uh, uh, what we would call the um, Hebraic Jews, And these were Jews that grew up in Palestine. Maybe they could trace their lineage back to Abraham. But they preferred to speak in Aramaic, not Greek. And they had different customs and different stories and different values than the Grecian Jews. Um, So uh, the Hebrews also were the people with the power. This is Peter and all of the apostles, the people who had Jesus to disciple them. Many of them grew up in the shadow of Herod's temple. Um, And they were like, you know, not mingling with the other nations. So you can see how you have, on the one hand, these international Jews, and then you have these hometown Jews, and they were coming together in one church. And there was tension. You could see how the Grecian Jews maybe felt like second-class citizens, right? They were were the Johnny-come-latelys. They had not spent time with Jesus. Jesus wasn't their half-brother. Jesus didn't give them the authority to lead the church. They came on the day of Pentecost. They were new. You could see how maybe they were like, hey, we didn't set the customs here. What's going on? We're not the the ones with power. Um, And so they brought a complaint against the Hebraic Jews, saying, hey, look, we don't like how things are going here. We feel invisible. And it is easy, if you are the ones in power... To not know all of the rules, and actually to to treat people who are not part of your cultural class as invisible, it's easy to do that. And sometimes, you know, you need a reminder that something's being neglected. Something, and in this case, it was it was the widows. The widows were being neglected. So, how did the leadership of the church respond to the complaint? Let's look at verse two. Um, And the twelve summoned the full number of the the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So imagine this, the full number of disciples had gathered together. And this is, don't forget, this was thousands of people by this time. This is thousands of people. And it's the full number, so it's both cultures, both the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, um, in a very large leadership meeting. Right? Thousands of people, different cultures, everyone has an opinion. What could go wrong? <laughs> and in some way, there was pressure for the 12 apostles to give more time and energy to the distribution of food. Um, and, and it's like it's widows, it's a good cause. We see that, that, that actually they, the, the, uh, the Hellenists had a point. Uh, imagine if your aunt or your mother. Or someone that was dear to you was widowed. And she had no economic means to provide for herself. And she's coming in and she's experiencing the life of Jesus. And everyone's sharing a meal. And she's off in the corner sitting by herself. No one's talking to her, no one's feeding her. Meanwhile, everyone else is having a great time here in the center of all the action. You would look at her and go, Look, my mom's not being fed, my auntie's not being fed. What's the problem? You you preach unity and you preach generosity and you preach Jesus, but why are some people being left out? So the it's important for us to acknowledge that the Hellenists, the Grecian Jews, had a point. These are the people that Jesus loved. And it's natural to see a need and to look at the people in charge and go, hey, do something about this need. You're responsible, you're in charge. Fix the problem. It's natural to say that. Um, So this is a very key leadership test for the early church. This is a key leadership test for the apostles. What will you prioritize? When the pressure is on, when there is pressure to solve problems, what will you prioritize? What will you give your energy to? This is a question that every leader, whether you're in the church or outside of the church must ask, what will you give your energy to? You can't give it to every good thing that comes across your desk. You have to decide. Every growing church will face this moment as well. What will we prioritize? What will be our focus? What will we give our attention to even if it hurts us? Um, In the last 2,000 years, many churches have faced this very question, this very moment. um, And they have chosen to, for one reason or another, deprioritize the ministry of the word of God. They've been at the same moment where the apostles were, and they've said, you know what? It's not that we don't value the word of God. It's that there's other things right now that we're going to focus on because they're really relevant. Um, really relevant tasks that are screaming out for our attention. Maybe it's a political cause. Maybe it's a humanitarian cause or a cultural uh, cause. Um, a lot of worthy causes A lot of good things. Maybe we should just focus on this for a while. And over time, these churches become unrecognizable as churches. They become something else entirely or they stop existing. This has happened over and over again and will continue to happen. And the apostles knew this. The apostles knew that that the the essence, one of the the key forms of being a church is the ministry of the word of God and prayer. They knew that the body of Christ, the body of Christ must be fed if it's going to flourish. Just like the human body needs to be fed if it's going to flourish, it's got to be fed physically, the spiritual body of Christ must be fed if it's going to uh, flourish Spiritually. We've got to be fed individually as spiritual creatures, but we also need to be fed as a body if we are to flourish. And they knew this. Why? Why does the spiritual body need to be fed the word of God? Well, they needed to know why they were feeding widows in the first place. They needed to know what is the story that we're a part of. Otherwise, you, you, you miss the story and, you, and you just you're feeding widows just to feed widows. And you, all of a sudden, you lose over time the, the motivation and the reason to feed the widows in the first place. Um, these Hebraic Jews and these, um, uh, these Hellenistic Jews were sharing jail cells together and meals together and life together. Why? The only way they would remember why is if the ministry of the Word of God was open to, the, open to them day after day, week after week. They needed it. It was sustenance. And we need it as well. We need the power of spiritual nourishment. Just like our bodies need calories, they need that spark, they need something to burn on. We need the encouragement of the Word of God. We need the truth of spiritual nourishment as well. Just like the body um, needs essential vitamins and minerals that are rightly aligned to our physical structures as a body of Christ. um, We need truths that will correct us, truths that will nourish us, that will give us uh, the right things to meditate on, the right things to feed our imaginations. We need to be corrected, just like in our Old Testament reading when, uh, when Nathan rebuked David. He was rebuking him with the power of the word of God, as a prophet of God. And it brought David back into alignment with the living God. This is what scripture does. When we open the scriptures, we come back into alignment with our creator, which is why we need it. We need to hop back onto our father's lap and be his children again and again. We need to hear from our father um, that we're his children. We need to hear from our father what he wants from us. We need to receive that fatherly power and attention and love. And that is available to us whenever we present ourselves to God by opening his word and opening our souls to the Holy Spirit. We'll be encouraged, we'll be corrected, we'll be taught by the word of God. We need the love of God. God wants to give us his love through the Holy Scriptures. We need the grace of God. We need the forgiveness of God. And that is available to us as we open up his word and as we open up our souls to the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany, lost his life for his faith, um, said something amazing. He said that when the word of God is preached in the congregation, that the, the living word, Jesus himself, walks among the congregation and ministers to each individual person. In other words, when the word of God is ministered uh, by the preaching of the scriptures, the word of God himself meets every single person and, and interacts with them in a unique way. And I have been amazed, actually, over the last few years, the way the word, the living word of God has done that here. I, I hear things I would have never been able to predict about how the word of God ministered directly to some, many of you in ways that I had, I had no idea. I had no plan. I had no idea. I was just attempting to be faithful. Or another preacher here was uh, Aaron Songer, or Susan Radicky was, was, was preaching. And the, and the word of God was ministering the word of God to you. This is what he does. This is what he promised to do. The leaders of the church had had been discipled themselves by the living word. He had taught them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had demonstrated that with his own life, with his own private life, with his own public life. And so they knew to prioritize it. They had been taught by him to prioritize it. So what did they do in response to this leadership challenge? They doubled down on the ministry of the word of God, and they offered a creative solution, a good and creative solution to the, the problem of the widows not getting food. Read with me the second half of verse 2. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, the apostle said. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Um, so one of the things I'm encouraged by is the way the apostles trusted the, the Grecian Jews. They said, you know what, we, we, we know that you have the word of God too and the spirit. And we actually trust you, we entrust the spirit of God in you to choose seven men that will help lead this effort, that will provide and actually carry the authority to provide a solution to care for the widows. Up until this point, the apostles were the ones preaching, collecting the money, distributing the money, making sure everyone got fed, but they're like, you know, we want to distribute that authority. We want to give some of that away, and we trust you enough to do that. This is really important that they do that. It was great leadership for them to do that as well. And verse 4, they gave their priorities. They said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Incidentally, God does ministry inside the church and God does ministry outside the church. Many of you are called to ministry outside the church. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you go to your jobs, whatever your job is, you are ministering on God's behalf. Not everyone, in fact, most people are not called to the specific ministry of the local church. The local church is here to affirm, equip, and send you out by the power of the Spirit to minister where you're at through your work that you are doing not just in Bible studies that you lead near your job, but also in the actual work that you're doing, whether you're in nursing, whether you're in education, whether you are a janitor, whether you're a student. You are called and equipped by God to do that in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Back to the leadership challenge. There's no guarantee, there was no guarantee that when the, the apostles prioritized in this way that the people would respond well. They could have come back and said, you don't care about widows, They could have come back and said, well, we are picking up our toys and leaving. They could have done that, but they didn't. Um, There's never any guarantee that when you lead in the name of Jesus and determine your priorities, that people will go with you or that the people you want to go with you will go with you. Um, The apostles let God's call determine their priorities, not the heat of the moment. But when they did so, when they trusted God with their commitment to the word of God, um, there was a beautiful, wonderful response that they could not have predicted. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Woo! Yes! All right. (laughs) Leadership challenge passed. (laughs) It pleased the whole gathering, and that's, that's saying, I mean, even Jesus sent lots of people away when he determined his priorities. But the, the Lord decided in this moment that this congregation would stay intact. And they chose Stephen, verse 5, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procreus and um, uh, Nicanor and Timon and um, Prominus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Whew, got through those names. And they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Praise God. People are raised up. And what does it look like? What does it look like when the apostles continue to prioritize the word of God? They flourished. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the church continued to grow. The church continued to flourish. This was a fed body that was flourishing. Disciples were made. Um, people learned to walk with Jesus. People were prepared for major challenges. And there were priests that were converting, that were becoming obedient to the faith. Um, unlikely converts that were joining the church. Soon, uh, someone named Saul would join the church. The Word of God was the nutrition that the church needed to grow into maturity. And the Word of God gave church access to the story that they needed uh, to continue to live the story. The word of God was a means whereby Jesus did his own personal ministry to the church, of pruning, of shaping, of correcting and encouraging. And the word of God was the gateway for more converts. A fed body is a flourishing body. When they gave attention to the word of God, the word of God grew within the church and the word of God grew the church. One example of this is Stephen. Stephen wasn't an apostle. In fact, Stephen wasn't even in charge of the ministry of the Word of God. But he was a recipient of it. He heard some great sermons. He probably discussed the Word of God along the way. And very soon, we'll see next week, Stephen faced a major challenge, the challenge of his life, which is his life would be put in danger and ultimately taken from him. But he would have an opportunity, he had a window of opportunity to share from the Word of God. And because he had been feeding on the word of God, he flourished in that moment. He witnessed to the power of the living Christ. And he shared, he had apparently been reading lots of scripture because he was able to synthesize it and tell the story of God to people who were hostile to the faith. And he was the first known martyr of the Christian church, laying the foundation for Saul, soon to be Paul, the apostle, to come into the church. You and I will live less dramatic lives than Stephen, but we need the same food that he ate. We all need to be not only prioritizing the Word of God here, and I'm so glad that we do. We will continue to have public reading of Scripture. We will continue to have people memorizing Scripture and reading it uh, in in uh, in the worship service on Sunday. We'll continue to teach people the Word of God in our small groups, but we also need to be feeding on the Word of God ourselves. Okay, and now we're back in quiet time guilt zone. Okay. So what I want to do, I want what I want to do is I want to tell you what I have learned how to do, in the pressures of my own life. I'd like to teach you something that I'm now teaching my oldest son. What I hope to teach all of our kids. Um, And it's a very simple process. I'm going to give you the most simple recipe I know. And it's called the spiritual smoothie. It will remind you somewhat of the Ignatian examine, okay? The first ingredient in the spiritual smoothie is the frozen banana of how I'm doing right now in my life, (laughs) okay? And this is as raw as it gets. I open, I find a piece of paper to write on, and I write down, or if I don't have paper to write on, I just kind of admit to myself how I'm doing. How do I, how, what makes me feel anxious right now? Where is my anxiety flaring up? What situations am I facing that is causing me suffering? What makes me sad? What makes me mad? What makes me anxious? What makes me feel contempt? What makes me feel shame? I just write it down. I write out my worst-case scenarios. And I do so in the presence of God. I say, "Father, here's how I'm doing right now." Or here's how here's my greatest hopes. Here's how you've met me recently. Here's how I'm overflowing with joy. That's the frozen banana of how I'm doing right now. Okay? And that's the first ingredient. The second ingredient is the Nutella of God's truth. Okay? You just take you a quarter cup and dip it in that Nutella, and you just dump it in. That takes the form of opening up the scriptures and just reading about God's truth. If you want to have a place to start, I would recommend starting in the book of Philippians. It's close to the back of your Bible. Look in the table of contents near the front of your Bible and you'll find it. I've also really liked the ESV app for the iPhone. It's beautiful and intuitive. And all I do is I just read what God says. And sometimes I'm corrected, sometimes encouraged, Sometimes it doesn't really seem to have anything to do with how I'm doing right now. That's okay. I just dump it in. And then part three is pressing blend. Come Holy Spirit. Mix these two things together. Mix together the banana of how I'm doing and the Nutella of of who you are. The Nutella of your story. The Nutella of your truth, of your power, of your love. Get it in me, Holy Spirit. Drink the smoothie. And drink the smoothie. See, he knows what it's like. And I've been nourished many times from that process. There have been whole sermon series that have come out of that process. Not most of the time, but some of the time. It feeds my soul and I need it. It's my go-to emergency way of feeding on spiritual truth. And I want that for all of you. Not because I want to come down with evangelical spiritual guilt, but because I want you to flourish. And the way that you flourish in the Lord is to be fed by the Lord. To give priority to the Word of God. Most of the time we make it too hard. We make it too complicated. We, we aim really high for a, something emotional or something profound. Let's aim simple. Let's aim for five or ten minutes. And let's open our hearts to be fed. I, can't, I, I can feed you in, from one side of things. I can, I can feed you with sermons, but I can't go all the way. Only you can feed yourselves to a certain extent. Only you can prioritize the word of God in your own life. It's an essential ingredient to your own spiritual growth, and I want you to flourish. And God makes us distinct. This whole sermon series is about being God's distinct people. It's when we open ourselves up to the nourishment of God that we become his distinct people. Let me pray for all of us as we seek to do this. Father, I pray that you would give us all an opportunity to be collectively fed by the word of God, to be fed in huddles by the Word of God, and to be fed individually by the Word of God. And I pray now, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to displace guilt, and displace it with hope, and displace it with a couple of ideas for how we might be able to feed ourselves this week with the Word of God. As we do so, would you make us your distinct people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.